almost, almost there. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. We have a very, very inspiring story today. Dr. John Tanner is going to talk about how he almost died. I mean, technically, you could almost say he did die because his heart stopped and he wasn't really overweight. He was running at the time. He was eating pretty healthy, but things have really changed. And he's gonna share with you how adopting a whole food plant-based diet has set him on a path of healing and hope. And hopefully you'll be inspired too. Please welcome Dr. John Tanner. Thanks so much for being here. I, I, I heard you speak because you, you have webinars or seminars that you do that you'll I'm sure tell the viewers about absolutely free by the way, when you were doing them in LA, you, it even included dinner. And that's when I, I, I knew your story but then I never saw you really present it that way like in a PowerPoint. And I'm like, hey, you gotta tell my people this story so thank you for being here well i sure appreciate being here uh we've we've known each other for quite a few years and it's always a joy chef aj and i, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your viewers uh, this is this is awesome i can't wait yeah so so yeah we want to hear about everything we want to hear about news sign little green forks but most importantly your story from uh de near death or you know some could say it was death to to thriving on a plant Based diet and 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 really, you know, you, you, people don't realize like you're not doing this for any money. You you have like a real job, and this is like just as your this is like your your missionary work in a way. You're just it's just amazing to me how somebody that's as busy as you has the time to 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 do this as is not a hobby, but you know it's it's not you're not making any money from this. Right. Uh, I hope everybody can see my screen here. I, I like to call my talk. Uh, I almost died. Uh, needlessly and will you and I hope the answer to that is is no and uh, I want to talk today about uh, heart disease and cancer health through nutrition and end with some strategies for success so here we go my, my story really begins uh, a little over 10 years ago now uh, or is that 11 sorry I lost track um, as, as Chef AJ said, I thought I was healthy. I was running this blue route, which I mapped out just about a mile from my house, uh, you know, starting down here. And I had done this for five years with no problem. And uh, on this day, I got to point B over here in the map, staggered a couple of steps and hit the ground unconscious with my heart stopped. This is how much warning you can have of heart disease. It's a disease of the insides of your arteries. You can't see it from the outside. There's no nerve endings in there. You can't feel that things are terribly wrong. And you can go in a moment from seemingly okay to dead on the street. I uh, was lucky I did survive. And I, I started learning some things about heart disease. I found that it's the leading killer in this country. Uh, you probably know that. Uh, it's the leading killer of both men and women. Uh, some people think of heart disease as a man's disease, and at younger ages, more men die of heart disease than women do, but at older ages, more women die of heart disease than men do. So in this country, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, the thing that is most likely to kill you is heart disease. And uh, sudden cardiac arrest, where the heart comes to a stop, is the most common form of heart disease. You can have a heart attack where the heart doesn't stop. You can have angina where the heart is more or less beating normally, but it just hurts. But of those three things, sudden cardiac arrest is the most common form. And if this should happen to you outside of the hospital, your chances of surviving are about 3%, you know, one out of 33 or so, uh, very low. Uh, 
so you take these three things together, the leading cause of death in this country, the most common form of it, and a really low survival rate. And what that means is people are dropping dead all over the place. We hear it about famous people. It wasn't too long ago, the mayor of San Francisco seemed okay one day and the next day he's dead of heart disease. But it's not just famous people, it's our friends, our families, our coworkers, Probably everyone who's listening here knows somebody, at least one, if not more, that seemed okay one day and the next day they're dead of heart disease. So uh, me having sudden cardiac arrest isn't all that unusual, but surviving it is against long odds and I'm, I'm really lucky to be here. Uh, this is what the, they found that day when I um, had the cardiac arrest, they uh, got me to the hospital real fast. Uh, and uh, this is a picture of uh, my heart in this area. You can't see the heart muscle very well because the x-rays go right through it. You can see one of my ribs right here. And they fed in this plastic tube through a, an incision in my leg and fed it into the, the aorta and then around the corner into the, the arteries, small arteries that feed the heart muscle. And, and this is what the doctor saw that day. Now I'm guessing that even if you're not trained in, in medicine that you can see pretty clearly where my problem is. Are you maybe looking right there? It, it looks from this uh, view, this uh, frame of the video, that there's no blood getting past that, uh, that restriction, but there must be some because you can see the dye down in this area that they injected to, to make this picture. And also if there were no blood getting through there, I would have been dead. So there's a little getting through, but not much. And that was my problem. And as I learned more about heart disease, which I'll be sharing in a moment, I was forced to conclude that I did this to myself. And I'm sad to say that the vast majority of Americans are doing this to themselves, not Chef AJ and not a lot of people who follow her advice, but a lot of others are doing this to themselves but you don't have to. I was only in the hospital for five days. Uh, the first day or so was a little scary for my family. I would wake up uh, and I would see my wife and I would say, honey, where am I? What happened? And she'd say, you had a heart attack. You're in a hospital. And I would say, oh, okay. And I would drift off. And a few minutes later, I would wake up and I would say, where am I? What happened? I had no short-term memory due to the time when my brain was starved of oxygen, uh, when my heart wasn't pumping. They weren't sure I was gonna come back. But after a day or two, I could start to remember conversations from one moment to the next. And in five days, they sent me home, yay. Uh, you know, From dead on the street to uh, back home, that was great. But they said, don't go back to work just yet. So I took another week off from work, but then back to work, yay, in only two weeks. But they said, um, don't go back to running just yet because of the 3% who survive cardiac arrest, most of them have residual brain damage or heart muscle damage or both. I seem to be okay on the brain damage, although when I forget my anniversary, I say, honey, it must have been the heart attack. It's a great excuse. But uh, in, you know, they wanted to see whether my heart muscle had been damaged from this period of time when it wasn't getting enough oxygen. So they did an, a test called a perfusion test and the test came back okay. 
the doctor said, you know, no heart muscle damage. You can go back to your life the way it was. And what he meant by this was a very comforting statement. Like you can forget all this trauma that uh, this cardiac arrest introduced into your life and just go back to enjoying life. And at first I took his, his uh, sentence that way, but the more I thought about it, the, my life the way it was, well, if my life the way it was included a heart attack, I sure didn't want to go back there. And I, I started asking questions. Was my life the way it was the cause? I didn't know. I'd say the vast majority of Americans can concisely say what causes heart disease. In a few minutes, you'll know exactly what causes heart disease if you haven't guessed already. But uh, I didn't know and I, what, what caused it. And I, I wondered, can it be prevented or reversed so that this doesn't have to happen to me again? And you know, for the last 11 years, I've been uh, studying this, the, the answers to these questions. And, and that's really what I want to share with other people. Uh, things that I wish somebody would have shared with me before I had the cardiac arrest. Eventually, I found my way to uh, Caldwell Esselstyn. He had a paper in a research journal that I read. And, and then I found that he had this great book called Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Um, I've heard him lecture a number of times. In fact, I think I may have met Chef AJ at, the, at one of his lectures in, in LA. Um, but uh, I, I definitely recommend this book, but if you uh, don't have a chance to read it, I'll summarize just a few key things for it right here. He says, nearly half the people in the US will suffer heart disease. Not all of them will die of it, but uh, that's a huge percentage to suffer from heart disease. And Dr. Esselstyn says, you should really know your cholesterol levels, both your total and your LDL. And you should also know what the healthy numbers are. Your total really should be below 150 milligrams per deciliter and your LDL should be below 80. And if that is the case for you and you're not on any medications, you're safe. You're not gonna have heart attack. And so anything that I share with you today isn't gonna help because you don't need help, you're, you're safe. But the vast majority of Americans are not in this range. And this doctor, Esselstyn says, if you're not in that range, if your numbers are above these, fix the problem yourself. Doctors cannot fix this problem. This is a doctor saying that doctors cannot fix the leading killer in this country. That can be really scary if you're the type of person who just wants to do whatever you want in life. And if things go bad with your body, you'll just go to the doctor and they'll fix it. This is scary because the doctors can't fix this problem. But if you're the kind of person who wants to take control of your life and decide for yourself whether you're gonna have heart disease or not, this is great because you can fix the problem and prevent it from happening. If you don't though, the medical establishment is, um, has many things they would like to do to you or have you do. Uh, there's a set of medications, uh, they're called statin drugs. Uh, the trade names are Lipitor, Zocor, Crestor. Turns out they don't work very well and they have um, some pretty severe side effects. I'll talk about both of those things in just a moment, the effectiveness and the side effects. They can put in a metal mesh tube to mash the debris out of the way and the insides of your arteries. Uh, that was done to me. I can say firsthand that that doesn't cure heart disease and it introduces problems of its own. We do, I think this number is a little old. I think uh, we're, we're maybe edging over a million of these a year that we do these metal mesh tubes jammed into coronary arteries, but they don't cure heart disease. The next thing the 
medical folks would like to do is coronary artery bypass graft, sometimes called cabbage or just bypass surgery. We do half a million of those a year and they don't cure heart disease. We spend $10 billion a year, not million, but billion a year in this country on statin drugs alone. And by the time we add stents and bypass surgeries, we spend uh, 50 billion uh, a year and that they just don't cure heart disease. But diet can prevent and reverse heart disease. Interesting. I believe that the reason that we're in such bad shape about this uh, is we don't understand the relationship between what we choose to put in our mouth and what happens inside our body as a result of those choices. After all, how can we know that? We can't see what goes on inside. Well, here's a couple of little video clips that uh, uh, I think help illuminate that. Uh, Dr. Clapper here is gonna talk about these two blood samples from two different patients. The one on his left uh, adhered to the guideline, which is don't eat anything before you give the blood test. The uh, patient on, on the right, not so much. Now, normally this liquid layer floating on top of the blood clot is quite transparent. It's a yellow, but quite clear. You can see right through it. The blood in this patient's tube, however, was anything but clear. The serum floating on his clot was thick and greasy white. It looked like glue. In fact, it stuck to the sides of the blood tube when I shook the tube. I went back to the patient. I said, Mr. Phillips, did you eat before you came to the hospital tonight? He said, yes. I said, what did you have? He said, I had a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And when he said that, I realized that what I was looking at in his tube was all the fat in the beef burger, all the butter fat in the cheese and the butter fat in the ice cream and in the milkshake. Now, here's the great news. If at one point in your life you've had a, a milkshake and a, a cheeseburger, and you've messed up your blood in the same way that this guy did, don't worry too much about that if you've done it once because your body clears that away. But it takes hours, maybe 10 or 12 hours to really clear that gunk out of your arteries. And what do most Americans do before that 10 or 12 hours has passed? They eat some more of this nasty stuff. So they're coating the insides of their arteries 24 hours a day, 365 days a year with this gluey stuff. Now your body is amazing. It tries its best to clear that away and probably years, decades will go by without you noticing it. For me, it was 52 years before it caught up to me, but uh, that varies from person to person. Now, uh, we don't know for sure that this gentleman, uh, uh, what his diet was on a daily basis, but we might guess that this wasn't his first cheeseburger and milkshake. So let's see what uh, the insides of his arteries look like after decades of eating this stuff. The next morning, we took Mr. Phillips to the operating room and I put him to sleep and the surgeon opened up his chest. And from these arteries, he began pulling out yellow, greasy deposits of fatty material called atherosclerosis. So I want you to think of this picture the next time you reach for a cheeseburger or a milkshake. This is the kind of thing you're building up in your arteries. This is the kind of thing that I built up in my arteries and it almost killed me. Let's talk for a little bit about blood tests. The cholesterol in our blood at the moment is not what causes death. There's some amount that's natural, it's uh, produced by our liver, but the other source of cholesterol in our blood is from the animal products we eat 
no plant products at all have cholesterol. Uh, most animal products do. And when you're measuring the blood cholesterol, you're getting a combination of that that's supposed to be there from your liver and that that really would be better if it wasn't there from uh, the animal products you ate. But uh, even then, the amount at the moment isn't what causes death. It's uh, this level of cholesterol that has been too high over a long period of time, probably years. But they found that uh, testing the cholesterol at the moment is a good indicator of likelihood of death because it reflects the cholesterol level that has been in your blood for a long period of time. And the Framingham Heart Study established the correlation of this uh, blood test with the likelihood of dying from heart attack. Um, and, and they've found that under, I'm gonna say most conditions with one big exception, this is a, an effective diagnostic tool. What does effective diagnostic tool mean? It means if you go to the doctor and get this blood test and get your total cholesterol and your LDL, that's a pretty good indicator of how at risk you are. But what is the healthy number? Uh, the American Heart Association, well, I, I'm, I'm with Kaiser. I'm a, a patient of Kaiser. And uh, when I get back my blood test from them, it says, here's your number and here's the standard number to compare it against. And the standard they give is 200. And I asked them, you know, why, why, where did you get that standard number 200? They said the American Heart Association. So I contacted the American Heart Association and asked them, you know, where did you get this number 200 and they said well it's about the average of all americans wait a minute this is an average among a group of people whose leading cause of death is heart disease you don't want to be average you want to be healthy and 200 is just not healthy don't believe that that's okay in fact the framingham heart study that established the the test uh, results, uh, the value of them, they found that a third of the people with heart disease had cholesterol between 150 and 200. So you're definitely better off being 200 or below than being above 200. You're in the one-third group versus two-thirds, but that doesn't mean you're, you're healthy. In fact, I'm a great example of that. My uh, last cholesterol test was before my cardiac arrest was 188. And so if you think 200 is healthy, you'd say, I'm, I'm okay, but it, I wasn't, and I almost died. In June 2010, there was a study published uh, to look at statin drugs, these drugs that we're encouraged to take if we have high cholesterol. And, and they found, this study found that the drugs break the correlation. What does that mean? It means the cholesterol blood tests go down, making you think you're healthier, but you still die nearly as often. Let me uh, draw an analogy for you. If you're in your car and the check engine light comes on, you understand that that red light is not the problem. It's an indicator that there's a problem somewhere else, but you know that this is serious. And so you take your car to the mechanic and the next day it comes back with the check engine light off and you think, yay, the mechanic fixed the problem. But then later, if you uh, took a look under your dashboard and you found the wires running to the red light and they look like this, you might conclude that in fact, the mechanic didn't fix your engine problem. He just disabled the indicator, making you think that your engine was better. And I think you would be pretty angry at that mechanic. Well, don't let the statin drugs fool you if you're uh, encouraged to take those. And in fact, your cholesterol levels come down, blood tests come down. 
don't let them fool you. Well, how do these drugs work? They inhibit the liver's natural production of cholesterol. They are really liver poisons. They are toxins to your liver, chemicals that you're encouraged to in introduce into your body to affect the liver's natural production of cholesterol. It doesn't do anything about the cholesterol in your blood from the animal products you ate. So uh, it's maybe not surprising that it doesn't help so much to uh, reduce our death rate. And the side effects include liver damage. Guess what? Not, not a surprise since it's a liver poison. Muscle soreness, which varies from person to person, can be quite severe. And brain damage. Let me describe what I really mean by that. There's a set of symptoms that look like Alzheimer's, which is uh, concentration problems, uh, cognition issues, short-term memory loss, uh, and but you can't really concretely diagnose Alzheimer's until death. But when people exhibit those symptoms, they say, well, it's probably Alzheimer's. And they're finding, of course, that there's lots of people that probably have Alzheimer's. But they're finding when people uh, are diagnosed tentatively in that way and they're taking statin drugs, if they take them off the statin drugs, many times the problems go away. So this cannot be Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's does not reverse. Uh, in other words, there's a set of people out there that are having uh, brain problems that are maybe attributed to Alzheimer's when in fact it's the drug that they're taking that's causing it. And this is the most scary thing for me. Um, probably all of Chef AJ's watchers are really, really smart and can uh, spare a few brain cells, but I, I need all of mine working. And so to me, this is the scariest thing about these medications, which I was on for a year before I uh, discontinued them. As time went on, I would run into these studies in, re in medical research journals that I found very interesting. And I eventually realized that I could compare five different uh, treatments from five different research results by putting them on the same graph, scaling them to the baseline, which is the untreated group in all of these controlled trials. So the, the first uh, study that I wanna share with you comes from uh, Duke University, where for years they had people coming into their medical center, candidates for stents, these metal mesh tubes that would be jammed into the arteries. In, in this experiment, they took half of them and gave them the stent and the other half they didn't give the stent. And they tracked both groups over time to figure out what the death rates were uh, for the two, two groups. They found the group that didn't have uh, the stents uh, had a particular death rate, which I scaled to match this red bar here of 100%. And the group that got the stents, I applied the same scaling to make another red bar and uh, if you thought that stents were very effective treatment, you would expect the death rate to be much, much lower. It's 97%. In other words, 97% of the people that would die without the stent still die. Barely moves the needle in terms of you know, improving uh, people's opportunity to live. Well, so that's definitely not a solution. Uh, statin drugs, this next study comes from um, where they looked at uh, a number of people who had elevated cholesterol and uh, gave half of them statin drugs and half of them didn't. And they measured their blood tests after a period of time. And I've uh, scaled the group that didn't take the statin drugs to 100%, the ones that did take the drugs. Here's their uh, 
blood test measurements. So you'd have to say, wow, statin drugs really work to reduce statin blood test measurements. But remember, that's not what we care about. We only care about the blood test measurements if it's a good indicator of our likelihood of death, if it really tells us whether we're doing okay or we're in trouble. So if you in, instead look at the death rate, which this June 2010 study that I mentioned before, um, I'm now going to share the numbers from that. In that study, they had 65,000 patients, all at risk uh, heart disease patients, and uh, half of them got statin drugs and half of them didn't. And we're now back to death rate. Uh, we started with death rate for the red bar. The second, the next one was uh, blood test, but now we're back to death rate. So of the two groups in that study, uh, one that didn't get the statin drugs, they had a particular death rate that I scaled to 100%. I applied the same scaling to the death rate for the group that got the statin drugs, and here it is. 91% of the people that would have died without the statin drugs still die. Now, the, I can't say that there's no benefit, although the author of this research article said uh, within the errors limits of this study, we cannot conclude any benefit from statin drugs. That was his words. But I would say mathematically, the most likely is about a 9% uh, decrease in death rate. And uh, that tiny little improvement has been used by the medical profession to encourage a widespread use of these statin drugs, never mind the uh, in increased liver damage, muscle soreness, and cognition problems caused by it. Uh, and we're talking about tens of millions of Americans uh, suffering this problem so that maybe we could save 45,000 lives not that we shouldn't save 45,000 lives, but have 10 million, tens of millions of people suffer. Uh, hmm, tough, tough call. But what really irks me about the statin drugs is that most doctors are not going to tell you there are other things that you can do. Well, let's look at another study. This comes from the UK, where they just asked people, what do you eat? And then they track them for years to see what they died of and, the, and when they died. The folks over there eat a Western diet very much like we do, uh, meat and cheese and dairy and so on. Um, and like here, a small percentage of them just don't eat meat, identified as vegetarians. A vegetarian might eat eggs and dairy, but just no meat. So uh, from this study, I took two numbers. What, what was the death rate uh, a heart disease for the people who ate pretty much like we do here, and I scaled that to 100%. And I applied the same scaling to the death rate number for the group of people who just chose not to eat meat. And there it is. There's still a lot of deaths due to heart disease, still a lot of red. But if you look not at the height of the red bar, but the white above it, that is, uh, if, you, if you look at how many lives or what percentage of lives were saved versus with the drugs, you can see clearly that just getting meat out of your diet is three times better in terms of reducing the death rate than these statin drugs. If the pharmaceutical industry had a drug that could do this, they would make billions, but they don't. You know, this is the best they can do, but you can do better just by cutting meat out of your diet. But wait, there's one more uh, trial that I want to tell you about. Um, Caldwell Esselstyn, in his book that I mentioned, did a small study on uh, 
getting people to eat a particular diet. For now, I'll just call it the ideal diet, but in a moment, we'll say exactly what that is. And I found that book to be fascinating, but it was a relatively small group of people, about 18 people. And uh, he wanted to show that uh, it was applicable to larger groups as well. So they did a bigger study, more costly, 200 people roughly. And they brought each of the people in and said, the doctor explained, you know, I really want you to eat this particular way. I want you to eat these food items and not these other food items. I think it's gonna make a big difference. And the 90% of the patients said, yep, doc, I'm in, I'll definitely do this. Uh, and the other 10% said, mm, sorry, doc, these foods you're asking me not to eat are too important to me. I'm just gonna to continue to eat the way that I was. Okay, but, but stay in the study. And, and so both groups were tracked for a number of years until they had enough data that they published it in a, a medical journal. I took from there two numbers. Now they were very uh, meticulous in this study. They tracked not only deaths due to heart disease, but uh, four other coronary events as well. Heart attacks that didn't lead to death, angina, stent emplacements, and bypass surgeries. So they tallied up these five cardiac events per patient for the two groups. And I took the cardiac event rate for the group who didn't change their diet, and I scaled that to 100%. I applied the same scaling to the cardiac event rate for the group of patients who adopted this ideal diet. And I'm about to show you the height of that red bar. But before I do that, I want each of you to think to yourself, how low does that bar need to go before it's important to me? And I think you'd all agree that uh, it, it needs to go below uh, this uh, vegetarian level. You know, if this red bar is, is higher, well, we won't do that. We'll do this. But how much lower does it need to go before it's important to you? Ready to see the red bar? Here it is. 1%. 99% of the leading killer in this country just goes away if you eat the right things and avoid eating the wrong things. Wow, this is astonishing. Why isn't every doctor telling us about this? Well, some are, but not everyone. Here's some evidence. Uh, this is pictures from his book. Uh, you can see um, on the left here, there's a picture of this patient's left anterior descending coronary artery, the same artery that got me. It's also called, often called the widow maker. You can see where I had one raggedy spot. This guy's got a whole long section and they could not stint that. He didn't really have any choice, but he found out about this diet and he went on it and they had an opportunity to look at that same artery a couple of years later after this healthy diet, look at that. The artery has healed, the body has healed itself when the patient uh, quit abusing himself through uh, eating the wrong foods, neat. Well, what is this diet? We'll start with the bad things, uh, red meat. Uh, you know that that is harmful. We've known that for decades. But what you might not know is that pork, chicken, and fish are equally bad. Uh, fish has some special problems related to toxins. Dairy is often considered even worse than meat. Uh, we're talking about milk, butter, ice cream, cheese. Some uh, researchers call cheese the most damaging substance on the planet. Eggs, uh, again, they have animal fat and animal protein, both of which are harmful and together the perfect storm to ravage us. 
processed foods of all kinds are harmful. I've put a donut there, but that's representative of cakes, cookies, candies, all kinds of things. And the surprise to many people, vegetable oil is also harmful. I'm not saying that you should never eat any of these things, but I'm saying the science is really, really clear. If you continue to eat these on a regular basis, the most likely outcome for you is heart disease and you in the casket before your time, dying needlessly. Or instead, you can eat these other foods, colorful vegetables of all kinds, heavy emphasis on leafy greens, fruits in moderation, beans are awesome, whole grains including corn, oatmeal, brown rice, white rice is okay, brown is better, whole wheat please, not that processed white stuff. Potatoes are awesome nutritionally. The problem with potatoes is the company they keep you take a healthy potato and you fry it in oil, all of a sudden it's not healthy. You take a great uh, healthy baked potato and you slather it with butter or sour cream or cheese and all of a sudden it's not healthy. Even better than potatoes are sweet potatoes. There's whole societies on this planet that eat nothing but sweet potatoes. They have no heart disease, they have no colon cancer, very complete food. Now, I'm not saying that you should only eat these foods, but I'm saying if you do, the science is very, very clear what will happen. Your most likely scenario is you will live somewhere between 14 to 20 more years, depending on the study you look at, which might be enough to not only see your kids grow up, but your grandkids. And the closest you'll come to the graveyard is when you run through there uh, and you see the gravestones of the people who ate the things on the previous slide. Now, the uh, the extension of your life may not even be the most important part of, of making this dietary change. The average uh, number of years of disability in this country before death is about nine. And that's just an average. It can be much larger than that. Uh, and the diseases that cause disability, stroke, heart attack, arthritis, don't happen on this diet. So you can have a great fully productive wonderful life um, and then uh, 20, 14 to 20 more years, or you can have nine really crummy years and then die. That's your choice when you uh, are choosing what foods you eat. The researchers call this a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet. You may hear the word vegan, which means um, not only no meat, but also no dairy or eggs, no animal products at all. And the, this ideal diet is definitely vegan, but there are some food, vegan foods that aren't so healthy. Um, so the researchers call this a low fat whole plant diet. It consists of vegetables, fruits, whole grains and legumes, no meat or fish, no eggs or dairy products, no oils, including olive oil and uh, no processed foods. The low fat comes in here. You really would like less than 10% of your calories from fat. Some experts say 7% is about right. The average American diet has 35% of their calories from fat. This is five times the percentage of what is really healthy. Well, how do you keep your percent of calories of fat down in your diet? Well, getting rid of the meat and the eggs and the, the dairy and the oils go a long ways. But there's a few um, whole plant foods that are a little high in fat. And those are nuts and seeds, coconut and avocados. So you wanna be careful with those. Uh, I, I put this guideline in gray instead of black because it's not quite a strong guideline, but still quite very important. And the asterisk there means if you're totally healthy in every way 
you can have a little bit of nuts, a little bit of coconut, a little bit of avocados. But if you're uh, struggling with your weight, you've got high cholesterol, you really wanna be cutting these out as much as you can. And be cautious with soy. Uh, whole soy is fine. Uh, uh, tofu, tempeh, edamame, soy milk. But uh, there's a lot of vegan fake meats that where they chemically strip the soybeans. They take out the, uh, the, the uh, carbohydrates, they take out the fat, leaving you isolated vegetable soy protein. And then they extrude that into things that are a lot like meat. Tastes great, a little healthier than, than meat, but not super healthy. So be cautious with that. And fruit juices uh, has a, um, gets absorbed into your blood very quickly, elevates your blood sugar quickly. So you, it's uh, better not to have a lot of fruit juice. A little bit in your cooking is fine, but don't uh, drink uh, quarts and quarts of it every day. Now here's Esselstyn, who has, has this comment to say about this diet. He says, uh, some people think whole foods plant-based diet is extreme. I mean, after all, no animal products, that's kind of uh, seems extreme for a lot of people. He says half a million people a year will have their chests opened up and a vein taken from their leg and sewn onto their coronary artery. Some people would call that extreme. So uh, imagine this uh, buzzsaw going through your chest bone and, and then think maybe you know eating some broccoli isn't that extreme. Here's uh, Kim Williams, uh, past president of the American College of Cardiology. He says, there are two types of cardiologists, vegans and those who haven't read the data. That doesn't mean that every cardiologist has read the data, but it means that the data is really, really clear about how harmful eating animal foods is to us. I'm gonna switch just for a few minutes now and talk about cancer. This wasn't originally of great interest to me because I had a heart attack. I, cardiac arrest. But the more I found out about the relationship between diet and heart disease, the more I found out there was a relationship between diet and cancer. So cancer is the second biggest killer in the US. You probably knew that. Researchers have found that most of us probably have cancer, cancerous cells in us. Uh, average American produces about one a day. So if you didn't have any yesterday, you probably have one today. But don't worry about that too much. Your body has defense mechanisms that keep those cancerous cells from uh, taking over and killing us. But occasionally uh, a tumor gets by the defense mechanisms. It grows for 10, 20, or 30 years before we finally uh, detect it. And then maybe a short time after that, it may kill us. But uh, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It, for most of these cancers that kill us, uh, it's, it's been in us for decades. With a consistent diet, the, the cancer doubles at about the same rate, but you can uh, affect this by what you choose to eat. And changing the diet can change the growth rate of cancer and often reverse it. It's not quite as dramatic as with heart disease. It doesn't always reverse cancer, depends on what cancer it is and how far along it is. But often uh, we, we hear these stories of uh, people that are told by their doctors to go home and get ready to die and they change their diet to, and uh, the cancer goes away. Here's some of the data that um, 
gets, gives us uh, some feeling about what foods cause cancer. And this one for each country, they looked at uh, what is the animal fat intake per day along the horizontal axis and on the vertical axis, what is the breast cancer rate for the population that in that country that is eating that particular animal fat percentage. And you can see a very clear uh, correlation there that, um, that as, as the, for the countries that eat more and more animal fat on average, their breast cancer rate goes up. Here's another one that uh, looked at just total meat consumption versus colon cancer. And again, you see the same thing, more meat consumed, more cancer. It's not entirely clear what in, in, in the meat is causing uh, the cancer. It's, some of the experts feel it's more the protein, but it doesn't matter what component it is. If you eat meat, you're getting the fat and you're getting the protein and whatever it is, uh, is uh, highly associated with higher rates of cancer. Here's a lab test that was really interesting. Uh, I first heard about this uh, in the China study, a book by Colin Campbell, a nutrition researcher from Cornell University. And he was describing a, a study that was done in India a number of decades ago, where they took rats and they get, injected them with aflatoxin, which comes from moldy peanuts and produces liver cancer. They gave uh, half of the mice a standard mouse diet and added about 5% of the calories as milk protein. And they found that 100% of these animals lived their normal lifespan, their coats and behavior looked uh, normal, and basically their bodies were able to fight off this induced cancer. The other half of the animals, they fed the exact same diet, except they boosted up the milk protein to about 20% and 100% of these animals died. Wow, just a little more milk uh, protein and it, it just uh, uh, the cancer overtook these animals. Now, Campbell wanted to know um, not only, uh, you know, did this happen, but at what point in the, in the lifespan of the cancer was it sensitive to milk consumption? So he did a slightly different experiment. This time, instead of keeping his test rats on the same diet throughout the study, he kept them in one group and switched their diets back and forth between five and 20% dairy protein, doing so at three week intervals. The results were astonishing. Whenever the rats were fed 20% protein, early liver tumor growth exploded. But when the same rats were given 5% protein, tumor growth actually went down. So what he found is it really didn't matter where the cancer was in its progression. If you're consuming dairy protein, you're fueling that cancer. This led him to say, casein, the main protein of cow's milk is the most relevant chemical carcinogen ever identified. Carcinogen meaning cancer causing uh, compound. Wow. Cow's milk, the most relevant chemical carcinogen ever identified. If, here's uh, some data from the Center for Disease Control um, giving the causes of death uh, in this country. Heart disease is the biggest one, cancer is right behind. Next, uh, or, or some other ones include uh, stroke, diabetes, blood pressure. I group these together, not by size, but by whether they're related to our food choices or not. Uh, sorry to say that even on a perfect diet, there may be accidents, suicides, and murders. 
and there's some infections that uh, uh, may or may not be really uh, enhanced by what we eat. Uh, right this year with COVID, the, these uh, bars are much larger, but uh, this is sort of a normal year. And if you combine all these uh, pie slices that are uh, determined by what we eat, all, almost all of heart disease, most of cancer and so on, you get this which is about two thirds of the deaths in this country are due to our food choices. Now it'd be very dramatic if I could tell each of you, you know, if you don't get on this diet, you're gonna die as a result of that. But I can't say that because there'll still be people that'll die of accidents and suicide and murders, in which case the diet really wasn't a determinant in how you died. But I think two thirds is a huge number. Think to yourself, you and the two people you love the most if you can eat the standard American diet, statistically two thirds of you are gonna die, two out of three of you are gonna die needlessly. I urge you not to let that happen. The right diet can prevent, reduce or reverse heart disease, cancer, diabetes, hypertension, 20, 30 other things. Every time I go to a medical conference, there's some new disease that is uh, prevented or reversed by this same diet. And the great news is it's the same diet. If the anti-heart disease diet and anti-cancer diet were different, that would be a tough choice because those are the top killers. But you make this one dietary change and it gets rid of 99% of heart disease. Most cancers, type two diabetes goes away. We are so lucky. It is the same diet. So here's uh, John's uh, prescription, steps to long life and health. Learn everything you can. Uh, the fact that you're uh, following Chef AJ is awesome. Uh, you need to be smarter than your doctor. Uh, uh, study recently showed that about 75% of medical schools uh, require no nutrition training for their doctors. So they come out of med school knowing very little about nutrition, the thing that kills two thirds of us. So you need to be as smart as you can be. Once you learn what you need to do, make the change to your own diet. And there's gonna be challenges with that, no doubt, but with persistence, you can overcome them. And then uh, I would suggest that at some point help others through these three steps, your loved ones, your coworkers, friends, and so on. And um, here, here's uh, some of the things I'm doing to try to help others. I made this website. Uh, we're gonna put links to this, I think, in the show notes afterwards. The Nutrition Science Foundation is my nonprofit organization. One of the uh, things you'll see on the front page is uh, books and videos. You can click there and see my recommendations for uh, some of the books that I think are best. Here's uh, two um, of newer books that uh, I think are really good by Chef AJ, The Secrets to Ultimate Weight Loss, highly recommended. And uh, more recent than that uh, with Glenn Merzer, Own Your Health. Uh, I particularly like this book because not only does it share the science, but it does so with, with Glenn's uh, good humor. There's just, uh, it's, it's a treat to read. So I definitely recommend those books. Uh, our website itself has some recipes, including some uh, that Chef AJ has been uh, great to uh, allow us to, to post. Uh, we also have a doctor directory if you wanna find one of the few doctors who really does understand the nutrition's role in health. If you need uh, some motivation, we have some success stories, both written and, and videos. And if you'd like to help us uh, through a donation, we would clearly love that. 100% of donations go to buying books and, and postage that we, we send those books out to people at no charge. 
here are three uh, possible um, ways that you can proceed. Um, one is uh, self-directed. Read one of the recommended books, take your medical measurements, do a trial of getting yourself set up. You, you won't like all plant foods, but find stuff that you like. If you're doing your own cooking, experiment with whole plant cooking, find things that are easy to make and you like, and then go all in. I'd recommend 90 day challenge. If you can't do 90 days, go do 60. If you can't do 60, do 30. But during that period of time, go all in eating only plants, then take your measurements again. And if you find that your blood pressure's down, your cholesterol's down, your energy is up, and it wasn't that hard and you love the food anyway, then maybe you can do this for the rest of your life. And at some point, uh, help others along this path as well. This is for the really strong, self-motivated person. There's another possibility, uh, if, especially if you live in Los Angeles or Orange County, there's a health food company that we started up. It's called Little Green Forks. Uh, in the San Gabriel Valley, the delivery is uh, uh, five days a week. In LA and Orange County, it's one day a week, uh, varies depending on exactly where you are. The, the food uh, is prepared uh, locally in our kitchen, whole plant food, no oil at all, of course, fresh greens and fruits, entrees. Here are some of the uh, foods that I like. This is what I eat uh, almost all of my meals. Uh, there's a oatmeal bean burger with fries, a sweet potato bowl, Southwest salad, broccoli soup, pad thai. And this is uh, one of my favorites. This was actually uh, a recipe from Chef AJ for, uh, we call it pumpkin spice pudding, but it actually doesn't have pumpkin in it. It has only three ingredients, which are sweet potatoes, bananas, and pumpkin pie spice. But it tastes just like pumpkin pie. Thank you, AJ, for that. There's a third possibility. If you don't want to cook or you live outside our, our delivery area, we, um, we, we started uh, Tanner Care Health and, and Wellness Center. This is to, to get people over the bump of you know, figuring out how to make this change in their diet. We have year-long programs, both 25 and 75-hour programs, heavy on nutrition education. The, uh, the, the longer program includes a lot more group support, mobility and strength training, and one-on-one -on -one access to the professional staff, which includes uh, MD, a physical therapist, nutritionist, and a yoga instructor. Uh, we had been doing these only live within the LA area, but we've now been forced to go virtual. So uh, anybody anywhere can, can sign up for one of our programs. Our first cohort, uh, we averaged 18 pounds of, of body weight loss in uh, the first year and significant improvements in all these other metrics and uh, some things that we weren't really expecting, but uh, better sleep and less pain for, for many of the folks. The new program is really aimed at um, moderate weight loss and diabetes prevention. It's uh, 25 hours uh, and uh, it might be covered by in your insurance. If, so if this is interesting to you, please uh, talk to Petra. Uh, we'll give your phone number in just a moment. So here are some upcoming things to think about. Again, we're gonna put this in the show notes. Uh, we have uh, nutrition science workshops, as AJ mentioned at the beginning, they're free. A lot of, they're similar to what you've just seen, but they, they run a little bit longer. 
uh, about double the information, talk about a few more things. And uh, we're, we're, we uh, also give everybody who comes to one of our nutrition science workshops their choice of a free book, including one of these two that I mentioned for Chef AJ. So um, you might wanna to go to our website, newsci.org, and on the right-hand side, there's a list of the upcoming events and how to sign up for them. If you're interested in Little Green Forks food uh, delivery, it's available Monday through Friday in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, and uh, Orange County and uh, LA County outside. Um, it's uh, once, a, once a week. We've made a coupon code uh, labeled ChefAJ15C. And with that coupon code on your first order for $30 or more, you'll get $15 off. So uh, you might wanna give that a try. Here's the, the website to order the food. And if you're outside of LA and Orange County, uh, Little Green Forks is considering uh, trying to ship uh, using uh, FedEx or something like that in, in cooler boxes. If you would really like that and would be a potential customer, please uh, send email to amanda at contactus at littlegreenforks.com. And uh, if you're interested in one of the programs for disease reversal with Tanner Care. We have an intensive one that starts about once a month and a basic diabetes that starts about once a month. There's a website for more information and if you're interested please call Petra at this number. So um, I think that just about wraps it up. Um, AJ, uh, where do we go from here? We have a few questions. That was fabulous. Thank you so much. Maybe take yourself off screen share so that you'll get bigger. And I can ask you a couple of questions. First, there was a comment from Candy. Why isn't every doctor telling us about this? Oh, that's a great question. And, and it's growing. Um, if you really want to understand deeply uh, about the way doctors and politicians and scientists and hospitals interact, uh, there's a book called Whole by Colin Campbell. But the, the net result, the, the short answer is... Um, Medical schools get a lot of funding from pharma, pharm pharmaceutical companies. They don't get a lot of funding from people who grow broccoli and rice and potatoes. And so they're naturally uh, teaching their, the doctors that come out uh, what drug they should prescribe and what surgery they should do. And they're not teaching them about food. Now, uh, even despite the, the failure in the medical schools, and that's changing too, some of the medical schools are adopting this. And outside of that, uh, more and more doctors are learning. There's a conference uh, called the Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference that every year gets larger and larger. More doctors are going there and learning about this. So it's coming. Uh, don't blame the doctors. It's not their fault, but um, it, it's sad that more of them don't know this. Absolutely. Mary wants to know, did you have a family history or do you have a family history of coronary artery disease? No, uh, nobody in my family has, has suffered from that. Although um, both my grandpa and, and my dad had uh, other problems. My, my, my grandpa became senile. They called it at the time hardening of the arteries in the brain. So it's the same disease, but uh, not expressed as coronary artery disease. But uh, no, I uh, got to be the first in my family to have cardiac arrest. Well, aren't you lucky? <laughs> 
you know, so Kathleen has a really interesting question that I don't know if I've ever heard you answer. Do, having had a, like a really, I guess, do they call it a near-death experience or death experience? Do you, are there any residual effects? I mean, and she wants to know what was it like to die? I have been asked that before, you know, did I see the light at the end of the tunnel? And the answer is, I have no idea because I have no memory for about two days, including the day of my run. Um, due to the lack of oxygen to the brain, you know, if I, if I had some near-death experience, it was kind of wiped out because my, my brain wasn't functioning. Uh, is there anything residual? Um, I don't think so, except that uh, I do have these stents in me and uh, I've had two failures of stents, uh, not due to my diet and the original problem, which I fixed but the, the stents themselves cause damage and scarring and can lead you into problems again. And those of you, people who have been following me know that about a year, year and a half ago, uh, my stents from 10 years before that, one of them failed and I had to go in again and get, get more, uh, more stents. So that, that's really the only recurring thing. Outside of that, instead of running a mile a day, I'm now running three miles a day. I, I feel great, um, it's all good. That's fantastic. So a couple of people said, but what about your brain if you don't eat oil? Doesn't the brain need fat? <laughs> oh boy, you, you could probably answer this better than I can, but you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there about healthy fats and um, in under extreme conditions, you know, there, there have, have been some uh, studies that show uh, fat is necessary, but for most of us, we have way too much fat. You know, if you eat, eat whole plants, there is some small percentage of fat in there and it's delivered to you in a way that's beneficial because it's mixed with a little bit of protein and a lot of carbohydrates and, you know, just the way your body is ready to process it. When you squeeze it out of the olives or uh, whatever, and then drizzle it all over your food, that, that's just not what your body needs. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, you started out the traditional route before you found Dr. Esselstyn. So you were on these medications for a while. What was that like? How did you feel? Uh, that was not good. Um, there were a number of problems with that. Uh, I was on a blood thinner, which is actually necessary for the first year. But some of the doctors would say you should be on that for the rest of your life. Well, the blood thinner means that if you have some small cut, it doesn't heal quickly it just oozes and if you get a small bump somewhere you know you get a big bruise because of the bleeding under your skin so that wasn't great at all and they said that if i got a head injury uh you know i could bleed out in inside and so that i shouldn't do things that i like to do like downhill skiing so i didn't do that for a year or so but then i got off of that medication against my doctor's wishes and now i can go downhill skiing again uh one of the biggest problems was I was on uh, lisinopril and metoprolol, which are ACE inhibitors and beta blockers that one of their main functions is to reduce blood pressure. And most people who've had cardiac arrest, their arteries are so clogged that they need to lower their blood pressure. But I fixed that with food. And so I, I was still taking these medications and I got to the point where if I stood up after sitting for a while, I would like almost pass out. And I went to the doctor and said, what's going on? And they, they measured my blood pressure and they said, oh, well, your blood pressure is too low. And I said, well, then why am I on these blood pressure lowering medications? And they said, well, there's other benefits. And I said, well, what are those? 
and they went, you know, they, there, there wasn't any other benefits. So I got off of those drugs and now I can stand up after sitting and not feel faint. So yeah, um, the only medication that I actually had a little problem getting off of was aspirin for a year, several years, actually, I was on 320 milligrams of aspirin. And then uh, they said, well, you, you, you can go to 80 milligrams, baby aspirin every day. And when I, and I did that, and the next couple of days later, I started getting back pain. And, you know, it's not, I, I learned that there's this backlash effect to reducing aspirin, but I just stuck with it and stayed at 80 milligrams of aspirin for a while. And then I found out that long exposure to low doses of aspirin can degrade your digestive system. So I asked uh, Esselstyn and McDougall and you know, some of the other experts and they said, you don't need that aspirin. So I tapered it off, but very slowly. So I didn't have this backlash effect. So I've been off of all those meds and that's, that's a good thing. Are you back to running at all? I run three miles a day, got in my three miles this morning, under 30 minutes. It's not, you know, record breaking time, but for 62 year old guy, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Well, I think John was incredible about your stories. Here you were, you weren't, you weren't overweight. You weren't really on the stand. I mean, you weren't, you know, you ate meat and things, but I wouldn't say you were on the standard American junk food diet and you were out running and had a cardiac arrest. Yep. It's crazy, isn't it? It's amazing. It's, it's invisible. You can't see the damage that's done by those animal products that you eat. Yeah. And, and I just thank you so much for the work you do. Cause like, as you mentioned in the intro, you're, you're, you don't make any money from your business. I mean, well, from your job you do, but not from all the wonderful things you're doing to get the word out about diet and health. And, and so thank you. I mean, I don't know if people thank you enough because you're, you're, you're at every conference and I mean, you give out all these books for free and your time. And, and I, I know you're busy. I mean, you have a real job too. Well, I sure appreciate this opportunity today. You are, uh, AJ, you just put yourself out there every day. The, the amount of uh, things that you produce is just incredible. Uh, the people you talk to are amazing. Uh, it's, it's just great to be included in that. I appreciate it. Well, you're so welcome. There were a couple of questions. I mean, that, that, even though I introduced you as Dr. John, John Tanner, you're not a medical doctor. So I, I'm not really, I mean, I don't know if you can take a stab at this question from Jan, but she says, what do you say to somebody on a whole food plant-based diet that's compliant, but their cholesterol is still over 200? That's kind of like an Esselstyn question. Yeah, um, that's, <laughs> I, 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 that's an interesting question. Um, one thing I would suggest is uh, doing a food log, very detailed, and then have somebody, uh, either our uh, nutrition staff at Tanner Care or uh, one of the few doctors that really understand this, uh, or yourself, Chef AJ, you know, have a look at that food log. Sometimes there's things that slip in there that aren't so great. Um, so that would, that would be the first thing I would look at. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, people are saying that they really enjoyed this presentation. Thanking you for your work as well. And uh, yeah, you're just, you're telling the truth out there. You know, I love it. Thank you. Absolutely. And guys, really check out Little Green Forks. We have Dr. Gerald Woodruff watching live. He's one of your best customers, by the way. He loves your food and his food is delicious. Oh, he left. Well, then I'm here to say goodbye <laughs> myself. Oh, maybe you didn't leave. You disappeared. <clears throat> But anyway, thank you all for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow when we will be having two 
broadcasts. The morning, we're having a wonderful culinary demo from Katie May. And at 2 p.m., we have back by popular demand, Drs. Mandy Menino and Julie Sarton from the Sarton Physical Therapy. They were guests on the GI Health Summit, and they're going to be answering all the questions they didn't get to answer during the summit. Take care, everybody. Thanks again, John. Bye-bye.